Let's just settle in his presence. Let's pray. Father, you are great and you're greatly to be praised. And there is none like you. Lord, there's none beside you. There is none else. We thank you, Father, that you gave us the best that heaven had to give when you sent your beloved, your only Son, the Lord Jesus, to the tree that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would now settle us not only in our seats, but in your house and in your presence. You are faithful. All the time you're good. And we thank you, Lord, that you loved us with an everlasting love. And you've called us and drawn us with it. And tonight, Lord, we are grateful that you did first love us, even as Daniel has prayed earlier. So that's why we love you in return. Father, we pray if there's one who does not know your son tonight, as their own Lord and personal Savior, if there's one, Father, tonight who has come in and they've never heard of the blood of the Lamb, don't realize what it means to be washed in the blood, we pray or this night be over that you, Lord, would see fit to reach them, and to show them, Lord, the precious blood of Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Your spirit is moving and that you're blessing. We thank you, Lord, for every person that's here tonight, for every head that is bowed and every family represented, and for those who cannot be with us or some regular people that are here at our church and our church family aren't with us tonight. Lord, would you bless them wherever they are? Will you encourage them and will you strengthen them? So, Father, take your own word. Wing it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, please. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We just have a few verses to start us off, but if you keep your Bible open, please, and then there's a lot of scripture we want to look at tonight. Tonight the subject is the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of the everlasting covenant. You know, this isn't just for the lost, the unsaved who know about the blood of Jesus. This is for every believer should know what it means to be washed in the blood. Many believers think, well, I just come and I say, you know, I'm under the blood. And that's okay if you're believing and you're a believer and you trust in that simply, that that's fine. But when the devil comes, when trial comes, when attack comes, when even some theological heads come. You need to know what the Word of God says, not what this man says, what the Word of God says about the blood of the Lamb for you. To have yourself armed with the truth of the Word. And also, of course, how the Lord Jesus, shedding His own blood, has not only saved us, but how He's equipped us in all manner and ways for His glory. Let us look just at a few verses. Verse, Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the closing 
thoughts or notes of Hebrews chapter 13, we see that the Hebrew writer, he speaks expressly of the crucified one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, you must understand, was written because there were believers in Christ who were now under persecution and thinking life would be easier if they just went back to Judaism. But really, Paul is writing this. Well, I say it's Paul. If I say Paul, you forgive me. The writer is saying this. He's saying that the, the temple has been done away with. Every sacrifice, every lamb, every bull, every goat has been done away with. And God's lamb has died on the cross. The final lamb for the forgiveness of our sin, for the payment of our debt, for our ransom and for our redemption. And so the idea of this letter or book being written is this, that people will not look to religion. It doesn't matter where we speak of Judaism or another religion. It doesn't matter if it's a Protestant religion or where it's all full of churchianity and ritualism. That does not save. People may say, which church saves? I want to let you know there's no church saves. It's Christ and Christ alone saves the soul. Christ and him only. So the writer is writing here, and the first thing he does, he is showing us the dual nature of Christ. He's showing us the deity of Christ, that he is the eternal God, the eternal spirit, manifest in the flesh, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And in that he's shown then, as I said, Son of Man, he is also showing not only his deity here, he is showing his humanity, that he is the Lamb of God that God had sent to die for us on the cross. For example, in verse 20 of our reading, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now let's stop there for a moment. This background I'm going to give you tonight is of the utmost importance to understand. There's men and women come to, uh, to the Lord, as it were, with the works of their hands. They come with their ritualism and their ceremonialism. And look, and they're, all, they're of, of good intention. And they've got a true sincere heart, meaning what they, what they do and what they bring. But really, all of it is nothing to God. All their good works is as filthy rags before the Lord. It doesn't matter if you claim to be Mother Teresa in an Indian village. Without Christ, you are lost. Without Christ, you will spend eternity in a devil's hell. But notice this. The deity and the humanity is mentioned here. He's called our Lord Jesus. Know what he's saying? He's saying it in a personal fashion. Our Lord. Our Lord. He's saying he's my Lord. He's your Lord when you know him as your Lord. So he's writing to the Hebrews here who have come to saving faith in Christ. And he's saying to them, he's our Lord. Why look for another? Why turn to something different? He is our Lord Jesus. Now the word Lord is the word kurios. And kurios means master, owner, sovereign, possessor. It also is the New Testament word for Yahweh or Jehovah, Almighty God. It is also another rendering, and it gives it like this, one to whom a person or a thing belongs to, and which he has the power of deciding over. In other words, when the writer is saying he's our Lord, he's saying he's our master, our owner, he's our sovereign, he's our possessor, he's our God. Jesus is all of these things wrapped up in flesh. 
He then is saying that he is one, the person to whom all things belong. And he is the one who has the power over deciding. And what is he showing? He's showing the sovereignty of God in the man Christ Jesus. He's saying he is the almighty God in flesh. He is deity clothed in humanity. And I want to warn you, church, at this point. There's even some friends of mine, when I say friends, they're distant friends, but friends of mine, and recently they're starting to promote that Jesus was not God in flesh, that he was not a pre-existence in eternity. They are saying he is not the divine Son of God. They're saying that he's only a man or a prophet, but yes, he was a sacrifice. Now, that is heresy. Jesus is Almighty God, the Son of the Father sent to the cross to die for us. Let no one turn your mind from it. Saying that he is none of that, he, 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 is, he is not God, is like agreeing with Islam who say he's a prophet. It's like agreeing with Judaism that says he's a bastard. It's like agreeing with the Jehovah's Witnesses who said he was just another man. We believe in CET that he is the fullness of God and flesh. We believe with all our hearts that he was in eternity and that he is, as John says, the Word that was with God and the Word that is God. We believe that he became flesh in John 1 and 14 manifesting the glory of the Father. We believe that with all of our hearts, and that's who was nailed to the cross to come with religious relics, to come with ritual prayers, to come with any of it or all of it or works of your hands or charities. And while they may be a good thing for the lack of society, as for your salvation, it doesn't amount to a row of beans. It's like filthy rags before the Lord. Saved by grace alone. Hallelujah. Jesus paid our debt. And so he's saying here, he's our Lord Jesus. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign King. He is master over all things. He is the possessor of heaven and the earth. That's the Christ we serve. And the man Christ Jesus was nailed to the tree. He went to the grave and he was raised again on the third day. He's ascended into heaven. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And there he makes intercession for us as our great high priest. He is coming again with power and great glory and he will come and rule and reign from Jerusalem. Notice this. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ, next he deems him as that great shepherd. The word great is magathos or magas. It's where you'd hear some of the young people, it was maga. I don't even know if they even say that anymore, but they used to. It's maga, big, gigantic. He is the shepherd above all shepherds. The shepherd of the sheep is not a man in Rome. The shepherd of the sheep is not a man in Westminster Cathedral. The shepherd of the sheep is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one head of the church, and Christ is he, and Christ alone. And here the writer is saying, there is one great shepherd, and he is Jesus the Messiah. He is Jesus the Christ. Notice, not only does the shepherd uh, give us the, uh, the, the point us to the, the humanity of Christ, he is the great shepherd or the mega shepherd, but also, it also points us to the deity of him. 
Notice in Psalm 80 and verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. Here before he becomes flesh, he is with Israel in the wilderness. He is with Israel as they cross the Jordan. He is with Israel as they take over Canaan land. Here he is, their God, who leads Joseph. Joseph mainly speaks of the northern house of Israel. But here he's saying, you lead us like a flock. In other words, he is the great shepherd, and we are his sheep of his pasture. That's what the the shepherd or the psalmist is saying here. As a shepherd looking to the great shepherd, Psalm 23 and verse 1, David said, The Lord, you know what that is? Jehovah. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. (laughs) He is my shepherd. Can I ask you tonight, is Christ your shepherd? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Because, you see, people think, well, we'll die. And we'll, I told you last week, there was a family member who I, I, I had buried recently, and the family think that they're up there looking down from glory, and everybody's all having a party up there who's passed away without Christ. And I had to tell them, that's not so. That is not so. But my name was on the church roll, but is it in the Lamb's Book of Life? Your name may be on the church roll, but if it's not in the Lamb's Book of Life... Revelation chapter 19 speaks, and Revelation chapter 20 speaks of glory, and it speaks of the great white throne, and it speaks of the lake of fire, and those names who were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. It's yours. It's yours. Now, I notice this. Hebrews 13 and 20 It says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, how through the blood of the everlasting covenant. I note that. Let us look at this. The everlasting covenant here, although we read in Revelation 13 and 8. Now, this is a little study for you. So mark it down. Revelation 13 and 8. Speaking of John seeing the resurrected Jesus, calls him the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Notice the term. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in 1 Peter chapter 20, speaks of the Lord Jesus again being the lamb. But he says that he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So here John sees him as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but yet Jesus didn't die for many, many years, something like 4,000 years. And here we find again that Peter is saying that Jesus was a lamb foreordained in eternity past. What is right and what is wrong? This is important when we get to the blood of the everlasting covenant, friend. Because if we can't get this straight, then we're going to miss out here because the the Scriptures aren't true. But they are true. Now note, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, the Lamb is in thought. Notice that. The Lamb is in thought. In other words, in the mind of God. Now notice, we're in time. God's outside of time. God's already there. In thought, 
the lamb would be slain. God speaks to those things that are not as though they were. And that's the way God looked through time and through eternity. He spoke into those things that were not as though they were. Calvary had already happened in the mind of God. It was as sure as it was done the day that Christ died. So then, when he is slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation 13 and 8, looking back, what does it mean? Well, the foundation of the world. And then we find Adam is in the garden. And we find that Cain kills Abel. Abel had made a sacrifice after their fall. He cut the lamb's throat and came through the blood of the lamb from the foundation of the world. But that wasn't Christ. The blood of that lamb was only a lamb. It was typified of what was to come. It was a type of what was to come. The lamb slain from the days of Abel right at the Garden of Eden. The first blood that was slain wasn't even there. It was God who had to slay an animal to clothe Adam and Eve with skins. And that lamb was typified right through. And it came right the whole way through time till Moses and Israel in Egypt. And Moses was to take and the Israelites to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts and on the door lintels. And the Lord says, I'm passing through Egypt this night. Notice, I'm passing through Egypt. That's in judgment. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Typified of those who are under the blood of Jesus. Typified of every one of us who are trusting in the finished work on the cross. Those of us who are under the blood. That day of the great judgment of God. He says, I'm coming in judgment. But when I see the blood, he says, I'll pass over you. There's no judgment for the believer in Christ tonight. None who have been to the cross will find themselves in a lake of fire. Not one who has trusted in what Christ has done in Calvary's tree will find themselves in the lake of fire. So Peter says, the lamb was in thought. John says in Revelation, the lamb was in type. It was waiting for the fulfillment. Here, Israel comes out after the blood is shed, and they go out of Egypt through the blood. They go through the wilderness and set up the tabernacle, the great big tent in the wilderness for 40 years, and there God met with them. How? Through the typified blood of the lamb. The shed blood of a lamb. God says, I'll meet you there. I will speak to you there. And in the whole of the universe, outside of God's heaven itself, in the whole of the universe and in the whole of this planet Earth of ours, there was nowhere man could meet with God but inside a little chamber, inside a little tent. And there God says, you want to meet me? Come my way. I'll meet you here. Friend, do you want to meet God? Are you not saved and you want to meet God? See, you can't make it in your time. And you can't make it your decision. God says, you want me? Here I am, here. I'll meet you at the cross. I'll meet you at the blood. I'll meet you where the lamb was slain. Do you want to meet him? I have things to do. No. He says, here I am, meet me here. Not in CET here, at the cross. Under the blood. Under the blood. So here we find that the lamb is in thought in Peter. The lamb is in type in Revelation. John sees him on the banks of Jordan. And there he comes walking down. 
as he's baptizing in the river. Can you see him waist deep in water? Look at every man, every sinner coming for repentance of sin, being baptized on the one that was to come, the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his path, and he's baptizing. And he looks up, and here comes this lone figure, full of majesty and glory, walking down, full humanity. And he cries, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus. He is no longer in thought nor in type, but in fullness of truth. Here he is, the truth personified. Christ himself. The covenant of Hebrews 13 and 20 was eternal in the mind of God. The covenant was made manifest in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this. Notice this. The everlasting covenant Jesus says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, he takes bread and he breaks it. He says, take it, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And he takes the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Or he says in Luke 22's version, he says, shed for you. Shed for you. Jesus shed his blood for you. And man thinks by rejecting the blood of the everlasting covenant, man and woman thinks by rejecting the blood of Christ and living their life and coming in a way that they find that they'll come whatever way they want. They think that they'll enter into God's heaven. Friend, the Bible tells us, you must come his way by the cross through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I notice this. Notice this. Hebrews 13 and 20 not only the blood of the everlasting covenant, notice it in contrast to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 10. Notice the contrast here. It says, though the offering, pardon me, Hebrews 10 and 4 first, pardon me. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So they're in the tabernacle, now they're in the temple all these years, and they're slain animals. Listen, what about Ramadan? What about all the thousands of animals that are slain? Doesn't mean that. I hear something. Well, what about a new temple? And the animals won't mean that. Won't mean that. You know why? Because Christ was the final sacrifice. He says, it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. What blood of bull or goat or works of your hands are you bringing to take away sin? It doesn't work. Notice what he says now in Hebrews 10 and 10. He tells us, but through the offering of the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. Would you say the body of Jesus? Jesus. Can you feel that? Listen. We say them things, we read them. That's the body of Jesus. Oh, listen. This is his personal body. This is his body. If someone was to come and slap you across the face, it's, it's offensive because it's personal. If someone was to come and spit upon you, it's personal. Here the writer says, oh no, 
you're going after lambs and you're trying this, that, and the other. What about the body of Jesus? Here's your lamb. The body of Christ. Though the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, through the offering, pardon me, of the body of Christ, once for all. Now, you'll see even in brackets there it says for all. That's because in the King James rendering, it's to help the flow of the English language. They're not in the original text. But for all does mean to say that it's just shed. And because it's shed, we are here in us universalism. Everybody gets saved. No, that's not what it means. It means it was shed once and for all. Never to be repeated again. That's what it means. In Hebrews 9 and verse 26, here's three, four points for you. If you're writing down and you want to do a little study on this, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 says, But now, once in the end of the world, notice how many times it's once, notice, once in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Who's appeared? God. The face of Jesus is the face of God. The disciple says, Lord, show us the Father it will satisfy us. So if I've been so long time with you, you don't know me. He that has seen me has seen the Father. He is the face of God. And the sacrifice of himself. Notice. The sacrifice of himself. Here's your first point. When did he do it? The last days. When was the last days? From Calvary onwards. He's appeared at Calvary. Why? That you and I in this dispensation of grace will be able to hear the word of God and be saved by that matchless grace. Secondly, what did he do? He appeared. God made it personal. God could have stayed aloof and lofty and far above us all. He could have let every single one of us of Adam's race Go to a devil's hell and to be in that lake of fire wherein many names are not written and which they will be burned forever and ever. He could have let all of us go. He could have stood back. He doesn't need you. And he doesn't need me. But in love and grace, he says, I will come. I will manifest I will appear and I will offer myself for them. You know why? Because he couldn't put any trust or hope in any man. And when he could not, even in Abraham's day, he says he swore by himself. I'll do it because of me, he says. I will do it because I've said it. I'll do it for my name's sake, Abraham. I'm not going to do it for Kent Davidson's sake. He's a Oh, you must be choking that fellow down there. Here we find, what did he do? He appeared. Thirdly, why did he appear? Simple, to put away sin. <laughs> but if, if we could get round the sin question without Jesus dying, if we could get round the sin question by the works of our hands, he didn't need to appear, he didn't need to come. We could have put it away ourselves, but we couldn't. God had to come in the person of his beautiful son. He had to come 
because we were hopeless. We were depraved, in other words, our, our total, complete inability to save ourselves. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing, absolutely nothing we could add that you and I could be saved. So God says, I'm going to have to come down and do it for them. This is who was nailed to the tree. This is who was, is who was crucified for you. And I notice this. The last one is, how did he do it? By the sacrifice of himself. God gave himself. Now think about this. God gave himself in the person of his son, the man of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth. And he went up. Golgotha's hill. Up Golgotha's hill. Why? To shed his blood for you and for me. Listen to the writing of Matthew Henry, the old Puritan in commentary. But listen, this is a little bit condensed. Listen to what he says. Our Lord has once for all made atonement and all attempts to tamper with his finished work is treason. Isn't that powerful? Sure, today we're told, ah, yeah, we'll trust, in, we'll trust in Jesus, but we'll do everything else as well. We'll have our little ecumenical services and people can be praying to all their different gods and their saints and, and holding their relics. Listen, we're holding on to nothing but the cross. We're holding on to Jesus, the Christ of glory. We're trusting in the blood of the Lamb and in the blood alone. Notice this. Here's what he says again. Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are your healings. His agonies, your rest. His conflicts, your conquests. His groans, your songs. His pain, your ease. His shame, your glory. His death, your life. His suffering, your salvation. At the cross of Calvary, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Notice Hebrew 13 and 20. It says, the blood of the everlasting covenant. And then in the verse 21 says, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. It's the blood that makes you perfect. The blood makes us perfect, not just for salvation, but it's the blood that makes us perfect for the service of Christ. If you're not under the blood, you can't serve him because you don't know him and he's not your master. We can't say, our Lord Jesus Christ. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, said the hymn writer. Must be under the blood. Under the blood. The word perfect here. The blood that makes you perfect is also, it actually covers the word to equip. The blood equips men and women. Equips us for heaven. Equips us for the kingdom. Equips us for his service. It also is the word for mend. The blood mends. 
What does the blood mean? Well, it gives the idea of the exact same word in Matthew 4 and 21 when the disciples or the, uh, the, the early fishermen were, were sowing and mending their nets and their boat with their father. And the hole that's in the boat where maybe a rock has torn it and the fish were escaping, they sat and they carefully sewed the nets and they mended the nets together to draw in the hole that they would make it perfect, that their catch would be good again. It's the exact same word here that the blood of the everlasting covenant starts to sew you back up again to make you whole. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful that the blood that Jesus shed, applying it to life, sews us up together to make us whole before our God. And it means it restores us through the blood of the Lamb. Backslider can be restored. Through the blood of the Lamb, the cold and heart can be restored. Through the blood of the Lamb, all who are weary can be restored. So, I'm going to have to do this in two nights because that's my introduction coming, nearly finished. I notice this. I want you to get the grips with this. The word everlasting, the blood of the everlasting covenant. The word everlasting here is the word ionios. Ionios. And let me give you some ideas of what this word, to strengthen this other scriptures that it is, is used in. In Revelation 14 and 6, it speaks of the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel. It's the same word here for the everlasting covenant. Listen, see in glory. We're going to be uh, talking to uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. We're, We're going to meet Stephen, the first recorded martyr of the church. We're going to meet all the Puritans. We're going to meet John Bunyan. You'll be able to ask him about all the books that he has written. We're going to meet people like Martin Luther. We're going to meet all the saints who were burned at the stake for the faith. We're going to be standing, speaking to them. I want to go, I want to talk to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I want to talk to them. First of all, I want to see Jesus. <laughs> but in glory, we'll all be singing the same song. We'll all be singing from the same hymn sheet. And they're going to be saying, well, how did you get here, Ken Davidson? A man like you. I'll say, I'll tell you how I got here. I heard the everlasting gospel. <laughs> You see, through all eternity, we'll hear, Save by grace alone. This is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind, but Jesus died for me. We're going to hear that ringing throughout the hearts for all eternity. Forever and ever. How did you get here, Ian Davidson? Oh, well, you know what? I was this, that, and the other, but I heard the gospel, saving grace, and we're going to be speaking about the blood of Christ forever and ever and ever. The blood will never lose its power. You know something, friend? There's not so long ago, I, I said something about the blood, and somebody came on privately online and said to me, there's no power in the blood. They said they're a Christian, by the way. You don't plead the blood. Don't speak the blood. It's all gone, is it? This is the blood of the everlasting covenant. It's the blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that will take us into eternity and will ring throughout heaven's gates and through all the corridors of the kingdom for all eternity. It's the blood of the Lamb. Excuse me for getting excited. It's the blood of the Lamb. Notice. First Peter 5 and 10, he calls it the blood. 
It says, but the God of grace called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. Notice, we'll be in, have an eternal gospel. We'll have an eternal glory with him. You're going to be changed. See, when Jesus returns, you're going to be changed. Look, it says when Christ returns, people say he's coming in a moment and twinkling. Of an eye. That's not true. We don't know the day and hour he's coming. But the Bible doesn't say that he's coming in a moment and the twinkle of an eye. It says you're going to be changed in a moment. That's different. Let's get what the scripture says. You will be changed in a moment. See your old aches and pains. There's going to be people who love the Lord. And you see maybe they're at their last breath, dying, riddled with cancer in the hospital bed. And at that moment when Jesus comes, they'll just lift right out. <laughs> and they're going to get a new body. Tumors are going to fall off. Things are going to happen like the world has never seen before. Secret? There's nothing secret about this. The graves will open and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hallelujah. Why? Because of the blood. Because of the blood. Because of the blood. The blood of the Lamb. Here we find there's an eternal glory. We will be like him. Does that mean we'll all be 33 and a half? I don't know. The younger ones might say, well, I don't want to be 33. And the older ones will be going, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yep, I'll take that. I don't know. But here's what the Bible tells us. I don't, I'm going off on a sidetrack, but I don't want to. It tells us that Jesus in his resurrected form, the Jews were, or the disciples were in, in the room, the upper room with doors shut for fear of the Jews. They were looking to kill them. And suddenly in the middle there stands Jesus. Here, feel me. Behold my hands and my feet that is I myself. Behold and see the spirit of that flesh and bone. He then say, he says, I'm not a ghost. Feel me. You'll be able to walk through walls. It'll be a wee bit strange that, won't it? Won't it? A wee bit strange that. See, the difference is everything will be holy. Everything will be open. There'll be nothing to hide. There's no shadows of darkness. It's all light and it's all glory. Everything will be manifest. It's not like we're going to have to, uh, well, somebody's going to walk through and I'm in the shower. That's not the way it works. It's going to be that we will be all in our glorified state, in our body, and holiness of mind, holiness of heart. Everything will be pure. We'll be as pure as Jesus himself is pure. For we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. See him as he is. Notice this. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9 and 12 says, By his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now notice this. By his own blood. You see, the high priest in Israel, when it was in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple in Jerusalem, they slayed the animal, and they had the blood, and they came in with the blood. And one high, the high priest himself entered into the Holy of Holies, or into the holiest of all, or the most holy place. And that's where God says, I'll meet you. So they came up to the furniture, and they sprinkled the furniture that was in it, the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat led in the ark, the cherubims that touched wing to wing, where the glory came down. They sprinkled the blood. And there is the holiness of God. And there is the mercy seat. And here is the sinner, the priest. And the glory comes down. The only thing that stopped the priest from being consumed in the glory of God was the blood. 
was the blood. And it's the same with the coming of Christ and the judgment of our God. The only thing that enables you and I to stand in his presence is the blood. Now, Jesus didn't go in with the blood of an animal. No. Jesus resurrected from the dead, ascended into the heavens, and he stands at the right hand of God, and he comes by the sacrifice of himself, and he offers up his own blood. Here I am, Father, your beloved son. Your beloved. Your beloved. That old Wesleyan hymn. I love that bit of the chorus. The Father hears him pray. His dear anointed one, he cannot turn away the presence of his son. Forgive them, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive them, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive them, oh, forgive, they cry. And I will have to change the last line because Wesley got it wrong. He says, nor let that ransom sinner die. Listen, no, a ransom sinner cannot die. Notice here, Hebrews 9 and 12 tells us that he has obtained Jesus, not you, friend, and not me. Jesus has obtained, he has laid hold on, he has taken eternal. Will you say eternal? Yeah. It's the same word as everlasting here, Ionios. The everlasting kingdom, the everlasting heaven, the everlasting glory. But here it is, the exact same word. He has obtained eternal redemption. <laughs> You know what that tells me? My salvation is not in my hands. My keeping is not in my keeping. It's all reserved in heaven for me. It's all in heaven. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives the parable of the sheep and the goats and those on the left hand, the goats, he sends them away. He says, I don't know you. You say, well, God knows, knows everybody. That's true. But the idea is I've never had this personal relationship with you. The idea to know is like a husband knows his wife in every sense of the way. And Jesus says, I have not been personal one-to-one -one with you in the Spirit. We have not loved one another the way we should have. In the holiness and purity of all that it contains. I don't know you. And he says to his sheeple, that's sheep people, on the right-hand side. He says, you're different. Notice, he shall say, shall, these shall go away, their left hand, into everlasting punishment. Everlasting punishment. It's the same word. But the righteous, that are those who are righteous in Christ, to everlasting life. So the blood of the everlasting covenant, I'm finishing with this. And well, God willing, I'm going to do next week, I'm going to look at all the things about the blood. It justifies, it cleanses, and I'm going to go through it, reconciles, I'm going to go through them all. There's about eight points of down here. And if I was to start preaching them now, you'd be here at about 12. And have an hour meeting to take a quarter past eight. Notice this. For as long as the covenant is, is as long as the blood lasts. Forever. For as long as the power of the blood remains is as long as the covenant will also remain forever. It's not going through. Listen, and I'm not trying to be hurtful. 
and I'm, up, uh, and I'm not trying to be crass, and I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you the way it is. The priest in the Roman Catholic Church can offer up as many unbloody sacrifices as they want, claiming it to be the literal body, blood, and presence of the Lord Jesus in the Mass. It doesn't mean a thing. It is still wafer, and it is still wine, and that's all it is. And it doesn't matter how much they offer up for the... They may be sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. It's always in the blood of the Lamb and in the blood of Jesus only. Hebrews 7 and 27 says of the Lord Jesus that he's unlike the other priests of ancient Israel who had to go in and go with their own sins first and atone for their own sins, then the sins of the people. As our high priest is in heaven, the Lord Jesus, so the high priest is mirrored of Israel on the earth. And notice it says in Hebrews seven twenty-seven, Jesus needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he, Jesus, did how many times? Once. How many times? Once. He did once. Once. When he offered up himself. So the blood of the everlasting covenant, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week in God's will, we'll look at the blood. It's innocent blood. It's precious blood. It's redeeming blood. It's reconciling blood. We'll look at it also that it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's justifying blood. It's overcoming blood. It's cleansing blood. And it's sanctifying blood. All found in the blood of Christ. Listen, when Jesus died, please get it. When Jesus died, he didn't say this is for a period of time, just for the next few months, weeks, or years. He didn't say this until someone else thinks of something else up. He said, I'm doing this once. And it will never be done again. You cannot be saved without the blood of the Lamb. doesn't matter I don't care if you're in a, a Protestant denomination, a Catholic denomination. I don't, it's not in this church. It's not in anywhere else. It's in the blood of the Lamb. See, He is God. And it took Him to become flesh, to hang on a tree, to die for you. Now, what are you going to offer Him? What can we give to add and become treason, as Matthew Henry said? Treason to add to the blood of Christ. I know people maybe not, I don't mean in here, but maybe somewhere maybe go, ah, you're too strong in, about the blood and you're too strong about Christ alone. I don't care. We'll preach Jesus only. Christ alone, the blood of the Lamb, to take away our sin. I, I hope you're trusting in the blood of Jesus tonight for his name's sake. Amen.